0: Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. My name is Patrick Macias and I'm the author of, let me spin the wheel again, one of the co authors of Japan Edge.
1: Oh, wow. That's a, that's digging in the crates. I'm Matt Alt. I'm the author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World, and its associated newsletter, Yokai Attack, many other things. No, the newsletter isn't Yokai Attack. The newsletter is called Pure Invention, but I'm also pure, whatever. I'm here. Get used to me, Patrick. Did you just say the big six O? Man, I remember when we were just 59. I remember like it was yesterday. Accelerated decreptitude. Is that what they call it? It is. Except usually that like, if you're a replicant, it happens over only three episodes. So we must be human. It's it's happening over 60.
0: So we have to break into the apartments and knock into Broadway and take the elevator to the top and find the guy who uh, is handing out the game tokens and and ask
1: for more life. I thought you were going to say the guy who does eyes. Now this podcast is officially applying for its AARP card so that we can get like a discount at the mini golf. Do they have like Senior's Day,
0: Silver Day at the Toho Movie Theater or something like that? Is that
1: like Cookie Day by uh, Shonen Knife, my favorite Shonen Knife song?
0: You've got music on your brain Matt.
1: <laughs> I do because you know last time we spent the entire episode talking about my favorite subject me. But this time we're going to switch things up a little bit. Uh, we talked about my favorite five songs, my the, the songs from Japan that sculpted me to be me. And this time I'd like to hear about the five Five songs from Japan that made Patrick the cyborg that he is today.
0: It's a me. Okay. So I guess like the first time I really heard Japanese music was, was in Godzilla movies, like those crazy soundtracks by Akira Ifukube, who normally wrote, you know, kind of like symphonic movie scores. But every now and then there would be some rock and roll music in those movies. Like I know in Frankenstein Conquers the World, there's a scene where there's all these like teenagers like rocking out, like on a camping trip in the mountains. And there's this
1: guitar oh, piece. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes yes
0: This is kind of like the Rosetta Stone of my love of Japanese music because it's a weird version of Western pop culture made by Japanese people. I don't know if it's like the pure invention trick if they've made it better or they've done it differently, but it's not quite
1: the same. Well, it's comprehensible, right? Because they're using our conventions, but like they use them in different ways. So like that's why it has this kind of novelty and authenticity, I think, to it. So I know exactly what you mean. But you know, give me that old time rock and roll. So start us off. What do you what do you What's your number one?
0: I'll start in order of songs that I heard that really kind of set me on the course. And I'm going to take us way back in time in the hot tub time machine back to 1987 when I was like 11 or 12 years old at a Japanese class where I learned to read hiragana and katakana. And there was another guy in the class named Chris Affleck, all-American white guy next door. Neither of us are Japanese. Both of us are there. And then at one point, you know, after class, we tap each other on the shoulder and say, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I I like...
1: uh, uh, anime, manga. Uh, and he goes,
0: I like it too. And we became friends. We became oh, you, real you good didn't friends. start
1: punching each other in the face over and over again?
0: No, it was really weird because we were both learning Japanese at the local Japanese Buddhist temple because we both liked anime and it was 1987. That's how screwed up my life is. Um, but anyway, <laughs> He was really ahead of the game and had a bunch of pen pals in Japan sending him cassettes of Japanese music. So he was, shared them with me, and I looked at these cassettes with like handwritten labels of bands with names like Crack the Marian, Bafuku Slump, Jackson Jokers, and our favorite of the bunch, the Blue Hearts.
1: Oh, yes. Okay.
0: So he had a cassette of The Young and the Pretty, which was the Blue Hearts' second album. And uh, it had a song on it called Rakudenashi, which was the first Japanese punk rock song I ever heard. And it's not their most famous song, that's gotta be Linda Linda, which is on their first album. Yes. You know, I think everyone knows from like the movie Linda Linda or the band The Linda Lindas. But the Blue Hearts really were the kind of perfect blend of like the sex pistols, the clash, and the Ramones. Great Japanese punk, melodic, high energy, rebellious, optimistic. And uh the song stretches out a little bit. It's not quite as angry and as up-tempo as everything on their first record was. But to me, this is Japanese punk rock. So let's play a little bit of Raku by the Blue Hearts.
1: no to So that's amazing. This I've never heard this song. This is really good. I can I just do a side note. Rokudenashi, I, I I actually only learned that word when that woman Rokudenashi Ko she got arrested for like sending data <laughs> of her own private parts. Like she had 3D scanned and like made a canoe out of her own vulva. Like I'm not making this up. This was a real incident that happened in Tokyo about five years back. More now. She called herself Ryokudenashi Ko, like which means Ryokudenashi means like ne'er do well. It means like like screw up. It means like you know bad seed, delinquent. I mean, my understanding is the song is about a guy who can't get an
0: apartment because he's such a loser.
1: That sounds like my much of my own youth.
0: Yeah, no, the Blue Hearts are great, and I, you know I grew up listening to like all their records and stuff like that. And I pulled out the first album the other night in anticipation of recording this. And I was shocked at how much Japanese I suddenly understood because they're singing it like almost like a junior high school level. Right, right. I finally realized they're singing Linda, Linda, not Rinda,
1: Rinda. Okay, anyway, that's all. Put that in your textbook and smoke it. Yes.
0: No, but the thing about the Blue Hearts is also is as one of the first Japanese punk rock bands, they toured America in 1990 and got coverage on MTV. And I was really sad because because I didn't go to San Francisco to see them. Oh man! They, they swiftly broke up and went into uh, the history books as the the first great Japanese
1: punk rock band, but not the last. No, I like these. I like these crossover stories. Those are the, they're like that. That's the most fun stuff to me when you get these cultural. Everybody calls it cultural appropriation now. It's never cultural appropriation when the Japanese are singing like the Ramones or something. But somehow it's cultural appropriation when it goes the other way. That's an awesome pick. So may I ask what's the next one on your agenda?
0: You may ask. Yes, it's a song called. Amen de Koinoshite from a city pop supergroup called Niagara Triangle. Which is composed of three dudes, Eichi Otaki, Masamichi Sugi, and Motoharu Sano. And there's a story
1: behind this one as well. I was going to say, City Pop, Patrick, I thought you weren't into all the trendy stuff. Matt, I was into City Pop before it was cool. <laughs> Everything's City Pop these days. This Actually, this podcast is po- City
0: Pop. Sure. We'll be Shibi AK once the algorithm tells us uh, to start listening to that as well. So, so um,
1: cue this up. I haven't heard this. I want to hear this. Oh, okay. i I think in you
0: So this is a song from 1982, although I didn't hear it until it must have been like the winter of 1999. It's my second time in Japan, and I came with uh, our producer, the producer of Pure Tokyo Scope, the mysterious masked woman known only as Jay. And we were record shopping in Shinjuku, and she said, oh, you should check this out. I had this record when I was a kid, Niagara Triangle, Volume 2. This is great. You're going to love it. And she played it, and I was completely blown away because this was like big, sweeping Phil. Spectre wall of sound production, but like with an 80s melodic sheen. I'd never heard anything like it before. Very smooth music, as they say in yacht rock, but also very poppy and uh, just eminently pleasurable to listen to. So City Pop Supergroup, mostly because of Ichi Otaki, who was one of the founding members of Happy End. Oh,
1: yes. Along with Hosono, right?
0: Along with Hosono. So out of Happy End comes not only Otaki and City Pop, but also YMO and like Japanese techno pop.
1: Can I just say this isn't about the song, but that was just kind of like a little heartwarming, you know, vignette about how you found the album. Like, it just doesn't happen anymore. Like, oh, dude, check this album out. Or like, oh, you walk past it and see it in a, in a window somewhere. It's so tough to find, you know, new music these days. Actually, it's not tough at all. You just have to be on TikTok or something. And I, I'm not. So,
0: well, what I used to do is I used to just go to Tower Records in Japan because they would have those little listening kiosks yes. with like a bunch of CDs and here's the headphones, which I'm sure you'd probably like instantly get any number of like, like, you know, audible gonorrhea. Now, if you put those on these days, But I would just like listen to whatever had a cool looking cover, and that's usually been my Rubik for everything ever since I've been a kid.
1: That was the first time I, I think one of those listening stations at Tower was the first time I ever heard Kimono My House. You know the band who ripped its name off of a toy store in Emeryville, California. You mean Sparks. You heard the Sparks, yeah? The, yes, the Kimono My House. It was on. It was on. Like it was for listening, up for listening on the uh, one of those little stations. But yes, Sparks. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, the band name isn't Kimono My House, though it should be. It was the album name. So. Otaki, one of the founding members of Happy End, but he went solo
0: and started like writing and recording and producing for other artists. And that's really where he really, really helped pioneer city pop. Not that kind of like female vocalist, plastic love kind of disco kind of city pop, but like this big kind of sprawling Phil Spector wall of sound kind of style, which is my preferred style of city pop. So this is where I really fell in love with that sound. So this song is very special to me. Thank you very much. So at some point, I hope everyone who claims to be a city pop fan, please check out Niagara Triangle, Volume 2. It's a great record with a lot of great songs on it. And also check out H.E. Otake's solo albums, uh, like Long Vacation, which is like, in Japan, considered to be like, maybe the greatest city pop album of all time. Okay, so what's next? What's what's number three with a bullet? Number three. Okay, this is, again, me walking around Tokyo. At this point, 2015, nothing to do except go to various record stores around Shinjuku. And at one point, I was, I forget what it was called. One of those little smaller, kind of like uh, Nishishin Record collector stores, right. and I'm hearing this sound coming out of the speakers, and I feel like my head is suddenly stuck inside like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. It's like heavily distorted guitars, crappy bootleg sound quality, eerie vocals drifting all over the place, and yet this song had like a musical groove, like a heavy, you know, magma under the earth kind of energy. Right, to right, it. right,
1: right, right. And right. I was
0: like, I ran to the counter and said, "Guys, guys, what is this? What is this? I gotta have it. I gotta have it. I gotta have this record by Granny." And they said, "Oh, this is the." L- Raleigh's Denudes. This is the last one. but don't you know Raleigh's (laughs) Denudes? And I was like, Raleigh's Denudes! I didn't know who they Uh, Hadakano Rallies, I guess is what they're called in Japan. Is this
1: this the one? I know that they have that famous... Don't they have the album cover where they're all riding naked on their motorcycles? No, that's Flower Traveling Band. Oh, that's Flower Traveling Band. I'm going to be brutally honest. I only know these guys from the Julian Cope book, Jack Rock Sampler. I had never heard of them before. And that book has... There's a lot of problems with that book, especially its intro and there's many other... There's a lot of factual errors. I mean, there just are... Complicated feelings, but that is where I actually did learn about them the first time and they are kind of mind-blowing. Probably the most dangerous band of the 60s wouldn't you say? And 70s? Yeah,
0: they started in the late 60s and were playing on and off until the 90s. Like probably the most infamous underground band from Japan with a lot of mystique. I don't think they released anything from the studio. They recorded a few things in the studio but mostly they just played live and loud and all that kind of remains of the recorded history are like audience bootlegs right. and uh, famously one of their bassists took part in the Red Army hijacking yes. of an airplane.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the the moment that was uh, chronicled at the end of the manga chapter. of Pure invention. Like they used so, they used knives and samurai swords, which I guess you could get onto a plane at the time to hijack a JAL flight that was bound for Fukuoka to North Korea, um, which they succeeded at. And most of them are still trapped and living there today. Way to go, guys! So they're kind of
0: like the Velvet Underground in the sense that you know people know the name, they know the fame, but they may not necessarily listen to the music because it it can get really heavy it literally does not sound like music most of the time i'm not the kind of guy who likes japanese noise music like the boredoms that much but this to me is like heavy psychedelic rock from hell so see how long you can last <laughs> fire up some rallies to nudes.
1: Let's check it out. Yeah, band leader
0: Takashi Mizutani died in 2019, but no one even knew about it until 2022. That's like how like kind of underground they were. Yeah, he
1: was like a notoriously kind of paranoid and, and insular kind of guy. Like I think he went underground for a, a long time after the hijacking because he thought he was going to be, you know, I don't know, pulled in by the Red Army. I, he wasn't a member of them or anything, but. He kind of disappeared for a really long time after that.
0: Yeah, there's tons of really interesting articles about uh, Raleigh's Denudes you can find just by searching for their name written in English. They have such a great story, but don't forget the music is my advice. Listen to the last one by Raleigh's Denudes.
1: Ask for it by name. Okay, so I'm kind of picking up on a trend here. I'm kind of picking up on a trend here, but I'm trying to see where can we possibly go with this? What's next? Okay. 2001, the birth
0: of Japanese nerdcore arrives with Leopoldon. <laughs> A two man unit called Leopoldon, named after Spider Man's giant robot from Japanese
1: Spider Man. You're going there. Okay, okay. <laughs>
0: So Lee Poldan is made up of two guys, two young dudes. Mondokoro and a guy named Frank Shigetora, not Frank Sinatra, Frank Shigetora. And these guys were like no samples cleared, making like underground, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of collage hip hop. It's kind of like Paul's Boutique, although they don't rap. And what they're doing is they're like remixing old tokusatsu themes, old TV commercials, all this crap from their Showa era childhoods. And I don't really get a lot of the jokes, but if you play it for a Japanese person, they will be doubled over in laughter.
1: If you play it backwards, what happens if you play it backwards? You unlock a portal to Rapongi or something like that. (laughs) Okay, where did you first encounter Leopardon? And I don't mean like when you were saved by Spider-Man.
0: This would be, again, through our mysterious mass producer, Jay, who always had incredibly impeccable taste when it comes to Japanese music and then forcing me to listen to it. And uh, there's a lot of songs, you know, that are kind of either remixes of tokusatsu themes or take dialogue, crazy dialogue. I think at one point, they use a lot of stuff from the Jim Belushi movie, The
1: Principal. Just the Japanese dub. Why wouldn't you? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's Toksatsu. He was he was he was the MC for the BattleTech videos when he went and played in the BattleTech arena. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the briefings because some of you are going to go through three or four mechs on each mission. Don't let that bum you out. It happens, but you must pay attention to the briefings.
0: He totally counts. So the thing about Leopoldon and uh, their album, Cake Not Girl, which is where Tokyo Jungle, the song I'm choosing as a sample from them from, is no samples were cleared, so it was never commercially released, although you can find the whole gosh darn thing on YouTube right now. What? Yep. Soon after this, they opened the Acid Panda Cafe, Leopoldon opened their own club, and they would do these wacky nights where they would make fun of Dasai Gaijin. They would do like nerdcore. They invited Kokujin Tensai, our favorite African American. Did Japanese he play there? Rapper. He played there. Yeah. Oh
1: man, wow! And they're not Acid Panda's not around anymore, is it? Nope, that's sad.
0: But both Frank and Mandakara are still around on opposite tracks, doing crazy things. Well,
1: can I just can I just when we first met, you were talking up the Acid Panda Cafe a lot, and it's to my endless endless remorse, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Dishonor. That's what they say in Japan. My right? English is seldom today. My dis- it is kinjite. Um, uh, I I never made it there. And I'm very sad because I still hear stories about it to this very day.
0: I feel like you and me and Chris Hill went one night to the Acid Panda Cafe in Shibuya.
1: You know, that's probably true. Wow. You know, I said this whole anecdote in a kind of, you know, wistful, regretful way. But actually, it turns out I did go there. Maybe, just maybe, alcohol was a factor in the fact that I can't recall that we went there. If I was hanging out with Chris and you, uh, yeah. This is our 60th episode, so a little bit of dementia. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> totally normal can i can i senator can i amend can i amend my statement i wish i'd gone more okay that's that's what i'm saying I wish, I wish i'd gone to the acid panda cafe so had i but you did you went you went enough for
0: both of us i dj'd a few times right. there yeah I, my name was dj gyaku espy
1: <laughs> wait was in shibuya they were in Jugaoka at first Jugaoka, and then right. they moved to shibuya and then they closed down i think yeah i went when it was in shibuya yeah yeah we got to get it, we got to get them to get the band back together we got to get larry Praldo on the save tokyo once again Jay- Leopardon. Well, if they're doing Dasai Gaijin Night, they have no shortage of uh, subjects <laughs> of all the tourists in Shibuya at the very moment. So many of whom are, even though know, I'm insulting them, are probably much cooler than we are. So, okay. now that, Are we on number four already? We're on number
0: five. This is it. Oh, man. This is the man. grand finale,
1: Matt. Oh, no. Wow. Okay. I thought the story's over, but it's ready to begin.
0: If you remember from the last episode, there was a spoiler about a certain artist who was on both of our lists.
1: Can you remember who it was? Mm, was it the Partridge family?
0: P-I-Z-Z-I-C-A-T-O-5. Yes, Pizzicato 5. They're
1: kind of like the Partridge family.
0: They're kind of like the Partridge family, I guess. Except
1: not at all in any way, shape perform. So Pizzicato 5 that that pioneering shibuya K band who you actually interviewed uh on your or you posted a, an old interview with the band leader Pizzicato 5 on your newsletter.
0: Did you not? I did. I posted an old interview I did with Konishi which was done like a month after Pizzicato 5 broke up. And the thing about Pizzicato 5 is like I've always listened to their music ever since I first heard it like in the early 90s when they first burst on to like the alternative music scene in the US and it hasn't aged like to me they are the sound track of tokyo in a way those songs yeah. are always playing in my head one thing konishi always said in interviews he's like pizzicato five is not from japan we're from tokyo
1: oh I, I don't know if that's like a sick burn or what that is but it's true it's totally totally true you know everybody says like that like i want to go to japan but most people mean they want to go to tokyo it's true
0: Oh, and their music completely is the Shibuya K sound. It captures that feeling of running around a big, crazy city, kind of manic, romantic, happy, sad, frantic. Fashionable. Fashionable, all that stuff. Aspirational, but also there's songs for people who just want to like pass out because they're too tired. There's a lot of range in the Pizzicato 5 catalog. There are some happy, sad songs. There's a lot of throwaway tracks. There's just a lot of like um, Gonzo stuff. In the interview I did with Konishi, he said he just wanted to mess around. The band Got too serious, and they well. There's like
1: skits. Up. There's like like Happy End of the World has this whole kind of like welcome everyone kind of like you know uh, announcer on it.
0: It does not have a subplot about sex packets, though. That's a whole different record altogether.
1: <laughs> now you got that song running through my head. The Digital Underground is the Digital Underground. Should be okay. They sound like it. So yeah, definitely. No, amazing, amazing. I love. Okay, so what is it? But what is your song?
0: Oh, my song is Kanashi Uta. Sad song or triste, as is also known. The thing about Pizzicato 5 is they would sample a lot. Not only would they take like grooves and bits and pieces of older records, but they would like re record those bits. Like, I don't know how many of their songs are just based upon the baseline right. of uh, ABC by the Jackson 5. Like, they will just literally re record those things or rearrange them slightly or lots of bits and pieces from this old soft rock record. Every Pizzicato 5 has these little musical hooks. So yes. that are all just re-recorded samples. So there's actually a, a tremendous lack of originality to most of their music as much as I love it.
1: One of my favorite moments in that interview between you and Konishi is where you're kind of like pressing him on his soft rock influences. And he's like, yeah, soft rock's too sophisticated for most people to understand. And I was just like, yes, I love this man. He knows what he likes. He likes what he knows. That dedication to form." you know Konishi was saying in that interview you did with him that like you know the music that you spend time with at certain formative times of your life just really stays with you and for him that was all that kind of soft rock stuff of that late 60s you know early kind of 70s time frame for me it's them yeah the thing about soft rock is
0: like it was an alternative towards that heavy psychedelic hippie stuff right like Moby Grape or Iron Butterfly like it was people wanted soft rock and that's what Konishi kind of latched onto but also in that energy interview, he also says something like, you know, he was really attracted to cultures that were not his own. And he said, kind of like, he was looking at me like, just like you, huh? That's why you like all this Japanese stuff is you always kind of want the culture that you're not a part of. Some people do. And that's, and he said, he actually said this, I call those people
1: otaku. Ooh, I feel seen. (laughs) I feel seen. But you know, it's funny because, you know, he's mining this exotic foreign culture for sounds that are evocative to him. And then he rearranges them in these ways that we find evocative of his culture. Culture and it's just it's funny. It's like a giant ping pong match playing out across the Pacific. I can't think of a better uh, group or to end on. Well, like I said, that what they lacked in originality at a certain point, they did
0: become more sophisticated. And I think it's Kanashi Uta from 1996, where it's an original song. I can't really trace anything back to like an old Motown song or a soft rock song. It seems like it's mostly played live, and it just has the most incredible bass line. It's got one of the greatest bass lines I've ever heard. I don't know who played it but this guy is a god. There's like piano and hand claps and it's very soulful and it really sounds like this this group that has been like studying how to make music all this time like finally taking flight like with their own song and of course it's a sad song, Kanashi Uta. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going around the loop on the Yamanote line, just waiting for the next station. This song just kind of comes to my head, and uh, there's a tear in my beer from crying over you. I was
1: going to say, you start weeping uncontrollably on the Yamanote platform, and then they lead you away. On my never-ending journey to the stars, Well, unfortunately, Shibuya is looking a lot different now than it used to and not necessarily in a good way. So it's tough to get these Pizzicato 5 tunes. Like It was literally like I would walk down, I'd be literally walking around the back alleys of Shibuya and songs would like come up as though they were like imbued into the pavement or something like that. They were being queued up in my mind as I walked through. Now you don't get that so much anymore, but I will always, always, always love Pizzicato 5. Yeah.
0: So that's it. Those are my top five Japanese songs that made me, but there's a lot more. I mean, I didn't start out to be a Japanese, music fan, but I looked in my hard drive and I have tons of stuff. We could do like a Japanese punk 101. We could do more city pop if the kids like that. Shibuya K. Or like
1: albums. You know, when I was doing this, I was like, man, this is really tough to pick a song. Like for me, it was, I was and this is also showing our age, uh, that we're album-driven rather than song-driven, as I think most of the young kids these days are. Oh,
0: yeah. I got 45 minutes to listen to this record. Sure. It's,
1: yeah, people do that all the time now. So <laughs> so there's that. But let's think about it. Let's let's see people out there listening. Let us know what you think. Uh, would you like to hear more? Because we can do deep dives on hip-hop. We can do, do all sorts of stuff. Denki Groove, my favorite Japanese hip-hop band. We could
0: just try to find Kokujin Tensai.
1: We should. We should totally bring Kokujin Tensai on here. He broke the, the cultural barrier, being the, the first African-American uh, rapper rapping in Japanese for Japanese people. Uh, his album's amazing. Maybe we should bring
0: the curtain down on this episode with a little bit of Kokujin Tensai. Oh, yes. you
1: will see if we could summon
0: him by playing some of his music on the podcast. Kokujin Tensai, if you're out there, ping us. Come on.
1: Are you there, Kokujin Tensai? It's me. Doko Karakita, Doko Karakita, Doko kara kita, Tokyo, Osaka, Kanagawa Yokohama doko kara kyota doko, doko, doko kara kyota doko, doko kara kyota doko, doko kara kyota
0: Tokyo, Tokyo Osaka, 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 Kanagawa Kanagawa, Kanagawa
1: Yokohama Ayo! Hey, ore no sushi deep no kitanai michi my okane yomokeru mokeru tame ni
0: nandemo nandemo dakara dakara Nande more uru, nande more suru, nande monusunu, so ste nuke tasu, kesat kirai, mento kisai, yami tori hikiju,
1: jama, jama, fotoke kiero kaere, kesat no se ole no suraime ore yo sho posh,
0: to yonde, honomi tiny, kesat haha So on that note, the curtain goes down on episode 60 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. Thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks for supporting our show. And we'll catch you next time. See
1: you next time.